This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Greetings, everyone, to Literary Treks number 299. I am just one of your hosts, and there's another host, and this is the official Star Trek books and comics podcast of Trek FM. So those two hosts are Dan Gunther and Bruce Gibson, and I'm the Bruce Gibson part, and he's the Dan Gunther part. Yeah, um, and and I had to double check the little name tag thing on the. But yes, I am the Dan Gunther part. <laughs> <laughs> well, on today's feature, we're going to review the novel "Losing the Peace." It's a next generation novel that is in the post Nemesis era, and uh, we do have another Trek FM host joining us. And I'll just save that for later. Her name's Brandy. I'll just save that announcement for later. But before we get to that. We have a new cover, and I have to say something, Dan. I freaked out because you put this in the notes. I hadn't seen the notes, and I was scrolling through, and while we, before we got on the show, I freaked out. I was like, oh, a new cover! <laughs> <laughs> it's always exciting, right? And it's nice that there's. it, it was a surprise for you, too, so that's kind of cool. It was. I didn't know this came out. I don't know how I missed this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, it just came out today, so as you all know, we record this podcast quite a bit in advance of it being released. So uh, I think this was just released today, March 19th. Uh, I noticed it on the Trek Collective website. So he, great website, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, the trekcollective.com, where uh, he brings news about, you know, new book stuff, new Star Trek product stuff, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, he found this and I managed to see it on his website. So, yeah, very excited. Great. Yeah, I love that website. Um, yeah, the, the, blah, the, gosh, yeah. Mm, see, I'm speechless. This is a new cover of a novel that's coming out in June by Dayton Ward, friend of the show. Of course, all the authors are friends of the show, but yes, Dayton, who hangs out in her green room all the time. This is a TOS, for those who don't know the original series, that's what TOS means. And this is called Agents of Influence. And, uh, Hey, wow, we've got a little summary here, a little synopsis thing. You want to read that for us, Dan, in your great Dan voice? 
For years, Starfleet intelligence agents have carried out undercover assignments deep within the Klingon Empire. Surgically altered and rigorously trained in Klingon culture, they operate in plain sight and without any direct support, while collecting information and infiltrating the highest levels of imperial power. Their actions have given Starfleet valuable insight into the inner workings of Klingon government and its relentless military apparatus. After three of Starfleet's longest-serving agents fear exposure, they initiate emergency extraction procedures. Their planned rendezvous with the USS Endeavor goes awry, threatening to reveal their activities and the damaging intelligence they've collected during their mission. Tasked by Starfleet to salvage the botched rescue attempt, Captain James T. Kirk and the crew of the USS Enterprise must discover the truth behind a secret weapons experiment while avoiding an interstellar incident with the potential to ignite a new war between the Federation and one of its oldest adversaries. Yeah, I'm so ready for this. I say that for every novel. I know I'm a broken record, but I feel like I've heard some of this before, or maybe I knew a little bit about this, but I'm very mm. interested in these secret agents or what undercover deep in the Klingon empire. Yeah, no, the, the synopsis was released some time ago. And I, I think we actually did cover that on the show, but the, the book cover was just released. Uh, I, yeah, I got, so what is your review of the cover? Yeah, I got to say, I really like this cover. It's really dark. The Star Trek, you know, they, they have this new design where Star Trek is kind of up the side of the book instead of at the top. And that's in black. And we've got this kind of asteroid field thing with a little Enterprise at the bottom. It's a very dark cover. So I feel like, you know, that might really reflect the tone of the novel with this kind of espionage and secret agent-y type stuff. So... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of digging this cover. I think it looks really cool. Yeah, and it's got the original Enterprise on it going towards this asteroid field on towards the right side. It's going towards it. It's not a big close up of the ship. The ship's you know in the distance, but it's a good side profile of the original Enterprise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like that it's dark like that. It's that looks pretty cool. Um, yeah, it feels yeah. special ops and, and secret agent-y. <laughs> yeah, it does. I like how it says Star Trek up the side, like you're mentioning. It's really big. And then the original series is going the opposite direction in like a, a gold color mm-hmm. it's and real small. I, I, I think that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, it's definitely a neat design. So. I'm, I'm liking that new design of the covers lately with, with you know, going up the side. We just got the Christopher L. Bennett novel, The Higher Frontier. And that's the first one I've seen in person with the with the lettering up the side like that. I think that looks really cool. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that book is what we're going to cover on the next episode mm-hmm. of Literary Tracks. So if anybody's going like, wait, why aren't you doing that book now? Well, because we're doing this other one instead, okay? It's coming up next. Don't worry about <laughs> it. We're going to hit them all eventually. It'll take several decades, but we'll get, we'll get them all done. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, Hey, you know, the last episode we did, number 298, was called Utopia is a Series of Choices. And that's when we had author Una McCormick on to talk about her Star Trek Picard novel, The Last Best Hope. And we post that episode in the Babel Conference, which is our official Trek FM listeners group on Facebook. And then we've got our first comment from Janessa Quejarda saying, reading this book, was kind of surreal in light of current events. Oh my gosh, yes. And the book we're going to cover later today, 
I think you'll feel the same way. Definitely. Yeah. That's something I've been noticing. We've, we've all been noticing the last uh, couple books here. There are a lot of parallels with what's going on in real life and with each other and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you're definitely not the only one to notice those parallels. Justin Ozer says, love this interview. Always wonderful to have Una on to talk about her Trek novels. This was a really amazing novel in setting out a very compelling and connected story for the Picard series. I would give The Last Best Hope 10 out of 10 open societies allowing scientific truth to be accepted. By the way, I do hope Una is writing another Picard novel right now. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, yeah, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just hope we get another Picard novel soon, just regardless. So we'll see. I haven't heard anything yet as of this recording. So I've heard rumblings that they're on the way, but no official announcements yet. Yeah. Mm, Okay. Well, I'll be looking. Uh, Oz Trekkie says, fantastic episode, literary Treks team. As always, great to hear from Una about her story. I really love this novel. It gives the reader a much deeper understanding of the characters' pasts, and it really helps set the scene when we see them all for the first time on screen. Raffi's backstory about losing her family was especially sad as her job and perhaps obsession took her away from her family. While not essential reading to watch the series, I have recommended this book and the comic series to everyone who is watching Picard. Five out of five supernovas, obviously not near any inhabited star system. Thanks, Oz Trekkie, for that. And uh, I'm glad you say that's not essential reading, because sometimes when novels like this come out, people go, oh, see, they make you read a novel to know what's going on in the show. No, you don't. This, you can still enjoy the show without reading the novel. The novel just enhances it because it just gives you some more backstory and things, but it's not essential to, to watch the series. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. But that said, D. Beisch, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name there, says, I appreciated getting answers to several questions I had of the series, but I don't feel someone should have to do homework to get those answers. That said, I loved the novel very much. Una crafted a very believable set of scenarios to set the stage for the TV series. Well, thank you so much for that comment. And yeah, I agree. I don't think it's uh, a good thing if something is required in order to enjoy a television show. I personally don't think this is required reading, but some people have said that it does answer questions that they had about the show, uh, which I think is fine. I don't think it's required, but it does definitely add something when you have this extra bit of uh, tie-in material. Absolutely, yes. And fellow Georgia resident Jen Foley says, Great novel and great interview. Interesting that Una viewed Kurum as the only villain. I definitely viewed Quest as a villain. She did have some legitimate grounds to feel neglected by the Federation, but she didn't at all strike me as someone who was really concerned about her people, but rather someone who was only concerned about advancing herself and obtaining power in the name of service to her people. She was cold-hearted, manipulative, and small-minded, and definitely a villain to me. Hmm. Yes. Uh, Jen, I can see that for sure. I think I have to agree with you because she she did seem to have the best of intentions, but she did also feel like she was 
looking out for herself. Her, yeah. she, had her, she had her own self motivations. Yeah, her her intentions are very self serving in a lot of yes. ways. So you know, even though she might believe that they are for the greater good, I think uh, there were several decisions she made that I think were very much in service to her own power and uh, ambition, rather than what most people would say is the greater good. So I agree. She felt like a villain to me as well. And finally, Clint Philip DeSada says, I've been listening to this novel and I really like it, but my heart breaks for all the things I think about in the post nemesis lit verse that are gone. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Where'd they go? I don't know. Wait, we're doing one of those novels on today's show. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, a a couple of things. First of all, you know, those stories are still there. They're still they can still be enjoyed. Uh, You know, I there's this has happened several times in the past where novels are, you know, no longer able to fit into continuity exactly. But I still really enjoy them. I bring up the final reflection a lot as a novel that I love, but doesn't fit into how the Klingons have been portrayed since then. Uh, But second of all. We still know that there's a plan. They, the, the authors have said there is a plan. They're planning on weaving this together somehow. What that looks like, we still don't know yet. But I have faith that something will come of all this that will on some level be uh, satisfying and, you know, maintain the cohesion of that post-nemesis lit verse. I hope. Uh, yeah, I do too. Cause I think that would be interesting to see how they would tackle that. And I'm, I don't know anything, but I'm just going to say, Hey, you know what? We haven't reached the supernova yet. I have a f- in that post nemesis timeline. I have a feeling that is going to be connected to whatever they do. That's just, just what I think. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Anyway, speaking of post nemesis novels and the current timeline that we're seeing in Picard, This kind of relates to that in some ways, and we're going to talk about that here in the feature, so stick around. We're going to flip the page. So in today's feature, we are reviewing Star Trek The Next Generation Losing the Peace. This is a post-nemesis novel, and we have a special guest with us to discuss this novel. Brandy Chicola, how you doing? No, Brandy Jackala. No, Brandy uh, Dracula. I don't know. Just take your pick. No, Brandy Jackula, how you doing? Hi, I'm sick, but otherwise fine. <laughs> you are sick. I hope it's not the coronavirus. Oh, I'm pretty sure that it is, actually. I'm, yeah. Mm. Unfortunately, everyone, it is. But don't worry, she's, I think, starting to feel better. I'm, are I you? feel like it. I'm finally starting to sleep more than like two or three hours at a time. So I think that's a step forward. But I still have what I call fever brain, where I do something weird like put medication in the freezer or towels in the microwave. And I don't realize I'm doing it until I'm standing there with a towel in my hand and the microwave door open and going, why did I come over here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm interested to see what you're going to put into this podcast. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're so happy to have you on and glad you're starting to feel better. So it's some scary times right now, for sure. Because the philosophy of literary tracks is the show must go on. Absolutely. Sick or not. If our guests are sick, they still have to show up. Yep. 
well, if if this had been like four or five days ago, I would have been like, uh-uh, no, can't do it. <laughs> I could, we did offer, but you were like, no, you wanted to do this. I did want to do this. I told you I wanted to do this, and I was not backing out. So here I am, and thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Okay, so I want, I want to start this off with asking you a question, Brandy, okay. and that is that this novel, Losing the Peace, is a post-nemesis book, and there's several books, the Destiny Trilogy and some others, that come before this. Have you read any of those books? I have not. So this Ooh. was interesting. I do actually know of some of the big events that happened, especially during the Destiny Trilogy. So those weren't really a surprise, but I don't know the nuances that happened. And so, of course, I'm going to have to go back and read those books. Oh, gosh, no, no, not more Star Trek books, please. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah. this was written by William Leisner, and this is the first book he wrote in this post-Destiny era, if I remember correctly. And so there's a lot of questions that people ask of me, and I'm sure Dan gets these questions too, where people say like, well, I don't want to read that book because I feel like I'll be lost. I haven't been keeping up with the other books. But the authors have made it clear to us that they try to set these books up so that people who haven't read previous books, they're informed through the book. Did this work for you? Did that happen? Yes, it did. And, I, and I'm reading the book and I'm going, oh, this is for people like me. This part is to <laughs> tell me what happened. So, and it wasn't, I don't think it was overly done. I don't think it was intrusive. I think it was, hey, there are a lot of books out there. Maybe you haven't read the books before. So here's just a summary of what happened mm -hmm. in a few sentences. So I appreciated that very much. Because that's a big complaint sometimes from longtime readers who do read every single book that I see online a lot is, oh, it, it recapped this book. We all read that book, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, any Star Trek novel could be someone's first Star Trek novel. So I'm glad to hear that you had that positive experience and, you know, there's a reason for these things. So that's awesome. Yeah, I really appreciated that. And I actually never uh, get upset at those kind of recaps and books when I've read the previous stuff. It doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. You know, what bothers me is like in the course of one chapter, you're suddenly reminding me of something that happened at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, I was there for that. <laughs> but right. mm -hmm. That didn't happen in this book. But yeah, it's I, I really appreciated it. And I don't have a problem with that at all. I feel like, you know, it's it's there for the people that are reading this without having read everything before it. And that's fine. Yeah. And there, I think it's also there because there's people like me that read a book prior to this, but it may be months and I forget some things, and it's a good refresher, too. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I commonly appreciate that myself when reading these books. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like last time on Star Trek, The Next Generation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That is. Except it isn't like that, which, you know, it's integrated in the story, which yeah. I kind of like that better. Agreed. And if I had to read like a quick summary. Well, you don't want it all thrown at you in the beginning of the book because just throw it in when there's context needed. And that's what yeah. happened in this book. And it, I think it was perfectly done. Okay. So I found this book to be a lot of fun to read right now. And that is because this book takes place in 2381. And that is the same year that we find out in Star Trek Picard that Admiral Picard is starting to work with uh, finding 
Romulans on these different planets and finding the refugees and finding, you know, planets for them to go to. And this is a, I guess you could say a different timeline at the same time, but we have captain Picard as a captain married to Beverly Crusher. And where does this book start off? But in France at the Chateau, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was like, I feel like I've been there recently because I've been watching the first season of Star Trek Picard. So how did that feel for you guys when you started reading this book? I really appreciated that. I, I, I think it's kind of fun to have those stories happening in parallel and to make those inevitable comparisons between the two. So yeah, at this point, it's pretty clear there it can't they can't both exist in the same timeline, quote unquote, or, or whatever. We're still not sure how they're going to resolve all that. It sounds like they're planning on doing something. But yeah, it was kind of interesting to see that, you know, these these strange parallels that I'm finding, because even though, you know, they're two separate stories, a lot of the subject matter and a lot of the issues that they're dealing with are the same sorts of issues, especially having read this one so shortly after the Una McCormick novel, The Last Best Hope. Uh, regarding these same issues having to do with refugees and displacement and the responsibility of governments to their people and that sort of thing. So it's kind of cool that, you know, some of those subject matters are still very much uh, the same, even though the stories are very different. Yeah, I actually saw symmetry with him being in France because, okay, this big cataclysmic event happened and half the Federation's gone or whatever. I don't know if it's exactly half. I'm, I don't know percentages, but, and, and it had to do with the Borg and now the Borg are gone. And now things are over as far as the battle and it's time to regroup. So where else would he go but home? That's mm-hmm. what he did after he'd been freed from the Borg in, you know, best of both worlds. And he went home. So I found it to be a beautiful symmetry in that regard, because that is his place where he goes to regroup now. And I appreciated that. And I appreciated that Marie was still there and tending to the vineyards and all of those things. So that made me happy. I thought about the the television show a bit, but I thought, no, I have to divorce myself from that right now because I don't want to compare things. I want to just have this thing stand on its own. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun to see them, you know, there at his home in France and thinking about, well, I just saw that a few weeks ago on Star Trek Picard, so it feels even more real. Mm -hmm. But then to see Beverly there, you know, and like you said, Brandy Marie, his Picard's sister-in-law, and it's just a different take. And and then then we have uh, Barash show up to give Beverly a mission. Like, whoever saw that coming? (laughs) Yeah, I remember first reading this novel and being like, oh, yeah, Barash. One of those many things in Star Trek The Next Generation that, you know, Riker at the end of the episode says, you know, we'll look after you and all this stuff. And of course, the next week, they're off on some other mission. You never hear about this person again. That happens so many times in tng and other star treks so it's kind of cool voyager <laughs> yes Sorry. very much so <laughs> um so it's such a nice refreshing change that 
you know, the, the author could come up with a new character to do this thing, but instead, you know, flips through the history of Star Trek and says, who do we have? Who hasn't been used? Who could we, who would have a tie to refugees or be concerned with that sort of thing? Oh yeah. That refugee kid that we picked up. Who's that little insect guy? You know, that's, that's cool. I love that. Agree. I don't know any of his, I don't remember any of his history. So it's just kind of like, hey, I'm just, I'm down for this. I'm down <laughs> when they bring back any ancillary character and give them a new home in the novels and flesh them out more. Yeah, because Barash comes and gives Beverly the mission to go to Pacifica because that's where there's a lot of refugees from planets that were attacked from the Borg. And Beverly's pregnant. And I thought it was kind of funny, too, that Jean-Luc is kind of expecting her to say, well, no, I'm not going to go. I'm pregnant. But she's like, heck, yeah. You know, just because I'm pregnant doesn't mean I'm going to just sit here and, and wait for this baby to be born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. off she goes. I, I kind and of, that and she's a doctor. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I kind of love the the parallels in a lot of the storytelling here. Like there's a lot of the Federation is kind of in this. Um, diminished capacity, I guess you could say. And I'm not saying that someone who's pregnant has diminished capacity, but they do have other concerns that, you know, that they might want to focus on other than uh, the needs of others. But it's still a time because the rest of the Federation needs that help that we put aside those concerns and help other people selflessly. And that's just such a Star Trek message, both on the macro level of the various worlds of the Federation who should be in a position to help the displaced people from the worlds who've been destroyed. And, you know, someone like Beverly, who could very easily take that way out, take the, you know, oh, I need to rest, I need to look after myself. But no, she's a Starfleet doctor, she's going to step up, she's going to do everything she possibly can for the people around her, because that's the kind of person she is. Well, I'm glad you said that, because we do get more of that with Beverly. She doesn't always step up as a Starfleet officer, we do get to see times where she's reflecting back on her memories of even leaving Starfleet. Now she's sacrificing her time to take care of her son after the loss of her husband, Jack Crusher, when he was killed in the line of duty. So she resigns from Starfleet to raise Wesley and then, and and later turns down a CMO offer. So she's taking care of family first, which then we later see her join the enterprise. So how how well do you think those flashbacks connect to the events of this novel? Well, we don't know a lot about Beverly's past, so I appreciated the context of how she got from here to there. Because, I'm sorry, it's been a long road getting from there to here. <laughs> I can't help it. We all think it. We all think it. <laughs> Our brains I'm just all the one who there. says it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to. So, yeah, I, I actually appreciated that because we don't get that from T&G or any of the movies. What it was like for her before Jack died, after Jack died, what happened before she came to the Enterprise. That was just kind of a big gaping hole in her history so yeah and now we know why she knows how to dance so (laughs) that helps oh yeah that's right because she decided to study dance in her off time yeah because she found out she was good at it lucky for her she had some natural talent because just learning how to dance doesn't mean you're actually good at it 
you have to have some kind of rhythm. <laughs> so <laughs> I am not that person. I have never been a good dancer. I took three years of ballet and I was just as terrible at the end as I had been at the beginning. And finally, my mother let me quit. So <laughs> I wanted to take voice lessons. Dang it. So I, I Did you ever take it. voice lessons? Uh, not until I was an adult. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I know you like to sing. So. I, d I do like to sing. Uh, I have a whole story about that, which I'm not going to share now because it's long and drawn out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I appreciated the flashbacks. I appreciated her reflecting on these times because now she's about to have a baby again. And so it's, I think, normal for us to see her reflecting on what's come before. Well, it's funny, too, you said she's about to have a baby again because she instead you know, last time where she's taking care of her son, she quits Starfleet. In this case, she is going forward with a mission regardless, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's a little different now. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, I can do both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she can do both. And she's realized that she's realized her own power and her own, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Agency in her life. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, she's very much at a different point in her life where, you know, I, I don't want to say maybe priorities have changed, but, you know, she's she's recognized that strength within herself that, you know, in the flashbacks, we get her old friend Walker Keel from the TNG episode Conspiracy, who kind of reminds her of that and, and says, you know, yes, there's a risk to going out there. Your son will be at more risk on a starship than he is living in St. Louis, Missouri. But that's who you are you need to challenge yourself that's why you're dancing like i love that he links that together too and she's realized now at this point in her life that she can take on that mission that burden of being this selfless starfleet officer and still raise a family and all that sort of stuff so i i love that yeah like brandy said she's very reflective and it makes a lot of sense here and to recognize how far she's come, I think, is is a really neat aspect to this story. And it makes a lot of sense that she's reflective, too, because she's watching people who have lost mm -hmm. loved ones and have lost their lives. And she remembers losing her husband. Yeah. So that has some of the reasons why she's having flashbacks. Too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I also had a thought when she was having that conversation, because I thought, well, what if Starfleet wasn't now building vessels that could house families, would she still have gone back? Ooh, that's a good question. I just don't know the answer to it. Maybe she would, maybe she wouldn't, because she didn't want Wesley to have to live with relatives. So I'm not sure she necessarily would have gone back mm -hmm. unless they were starting to make this family thing an option that you could take your family with you. Which I don't know why they didn't do that in the first place. So I split up family <laughs> if you don't have to. I agree. To. <laughs> I don't think she would have joined the Enterprise yeah. if they didn't accept families. I think she would have stayed behind. But it's funny how a year later she leaves Wesley on the Enterprise. <laughs> but then he has a new family. He mm -hmm. does. He has a group of people who care for him. Mostly, like he's their own son. So. Yeah, and he was a few years. Shut up, Wesley. He was a few years older by then too. So you know, yeah, was, yeah. yeah, that has a lot to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And he was looking for a Starfleet career, so it was almost like because I think there was probably kids his age that went off to join the academy 
anyway. Because mm-hmm. I think we saw Chekhov in Star Trek 09. He was that almost that young. And he yeah. Was he was ensign. very young. Very, mm-hmm. very young. Yeah. Oh, he's 17. Great. (laughs) So they go to this planet Pacifica and it's Crusher and Kadahada and the, and a crew on this runabout as they go over there. There's all these Federation members who are homeless and are on this Federation member planet. And there's these tensions that start to mount and we're going to start getting into a little bit of spoilers here. But at first, this this aquatic nation welcomes the refugees. But then at the same time, this is their homeland and things get a little uncomfortable. You have the ones that live in the water and the ones that live on the land. And, you know, this it, it's it's like a stranger coming into your house and it, you're OK with it. But then they don't leave. <laughs> and there's like these tensions that start to mount. And then this plague develops from contaminated water. We see one of the children get sick from drinking this water. I thought I saw, I was finding again, not to compare to Star Trek Picard all the time, but this whole thing of refugees and, and planets accepting refugees and the conflicts between them remind me of what has been going on in Star Trek Picard when it comes to the soon-to-be explosion of the supernova and planets accepting Romulans, too. And in this case, it's not even just about living there, but then because of the contaminated water, that they want to build a wall to prevent people from going to the water and getting sick, and then they feel like they're being penned in, like they're being jailed in. There's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. So, so, so much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's at equal, it's equal parts obvious and tragic that this will always be an evergreen issue that seems to resonate. Like the fact that we're reading this book now and the issues that have been happening in the last few years, few decades, it's just, it, it it sucks that this is something that's going to keep coming up and, you know, forgive me while I step on my liberal soapbox here and stuff, but with the climate crisis, this is going to get worse and worse and worse every year. And there's, anyway, there's things we need to deal with, to do, to deal with it that we're not doing. And that's what this novel is about. And it's, it's a sign of great writing that, they're able to engineer this refugee crisis in what's supposed to be a utopia, the Federation. But, you know, and this is something that I put in the notes that we'll talk a lot about later, but utopia isn't just something that happens. It's people that make a utopia and continue to build that utopia every day. Like it's not just people say the future of Star Trek is this wonderful place and nothing bad could ever happen there. Well, no, it's people. And they need to make that decision every day to keep building that utopia. Like we have to today, we have to keep making the decision to build the better society that we want to have. Anyway, I'm stepping down off my soapbox a little bit there to say that, yeah, refugees, it's something that's going to be with us. It's been with us for ages and it's going to continue to be a concern when you get groups of people where that are from a place where a disaster happens and disasters are not going to stop happening. And those people clash with the rest of the people whose comfortable lives are interrupted by the plight of those people from over there. It's just, it's, it's a tragedy and 
it's a source of great storytelling and great messages. It's a tragedy also, too, because I, I think some of the issues is that there isn't a plan to go forward. It's like, okay, the refugees are here. What's next? Uh, well, we don't know. We're mm-hmm. still figuring that out. And so they, I, I feel like the natives, you know, they're starting to get frustrated. Like, what are we doing here? What are we going to do with these people? You know, we can't just keep them here. There's overcrowding. We have to get on with our lives and how we do things. And and now these people are getting sick. And, you know, Beverly's there, as we mentioned, she's a doctor and she's taking care of people. And she's hoping that she's going to help, you know, a woman and this baby and all this stuff. The baby was the one that got sick. I said a small child, but really was a baby. So Actually, she yeah. was sick, too. The mother was sick as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she got just then she got sick, yeah. Yeah. Just like you're sick, Brandy. But just like I'm sick. But you didn't drink the water. I didn't drink the water. I just had a coworker that had spent a weekend with people who tested positive for COVID nineteen. Nice. Yeah. Not fun. Um, the the thing that I found interesting is that um, the Federation United Federation of Planets hubris had no room for a plan for something like this to ever happen. They had nothing. They had no plan, no guidelines, no measures in place. It was just, it was kind of staggering to me. I'm like, yeah, you're a utopia, but you know that bad things happen. You know the Borg are out there. You know these things. Why wouldn't you have a plan for this? So, but it actually kind of fits, especially again with events in Picard of how they just seem to think that they're untouchable Mm -hmm. and they're not. Would you say that's the same even today in the real world, in the real world with the coronavirus? Absolutely. Absolutely. The governor of Florida will not shut the beaches down. Totally should shut the beaches down, dude. Yeah, (laughs) Totally. I, I watched. Okay. Let me say this. Big surprise to everybody. I'm a fan of professional wrestling. My favorite show is All Elite Wrestling. They had they broadcast every Wednesday night. And in fact, we got to see them in Utah. And it was amazing. They broadcast last night from an arena in Florida that was completely empty. And they still did their show. And it was still fantastic. They wanted to do it for the people who were stuck at home. You don't have to have all the crowds, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't care if you were looking forward to spring break. I think your life and the lives of, other, of others are more important than getting drunk and looking at girls' boobs when they pull their shirts up, okay? I think that's a little more important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's in the grand scheme of things, right? It's <laughs> Yeah, it's just... I feel like I feel like a lot of this, um, especially with what's happening with the refugees, etc., is just because of a huge lack of empathy. Nobody seems yeah. to be able to put themselves in the place of the others. And I'm not saying that the refugees are at fault for this. I'm saying that the people on Pacifica, you know, again, having their comfortable lives interrupted – they have, they don't even, they can't fathom what these people are going through. They don't even try. All they are is a nuisance. And that, again, speaks to this Federation hubris. Yeah, we, we see Picard bring a, a prominent member of Alpha Centauri who there's fighting going on. There's something, and 
in a sense, kidnaps him and brings him to this plant to show him what's going on. And if anything, he left with the impression and seeing this is like, this is not the Federation. This is not the way these people are living is not how we live in the Federation. And it's disastrous to see this. Yeah, I, I literally cheered and did a fist pump when I got to that part. He's like, oh, has has this guy left? Has the governor left yet? Nope. He's he's still on the ship. Okay, set course for the <laughs> Pacific. And I'm just like, mm, mm-hmm. he about to get a lesson right now. <laughs> yes, he We're is. We're having communication issues with Admiral Akaar. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, that he actually like checked with that. the transporter room. Like, has he beamed down yet? Nope. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> and just to put into context, because we're talking a lot about of our lives today, this is March 19th when we're doing this recording. So just, you know, you guys are going to hear this later and who knows what's happened since we recorded. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things are changing every few hours. So it's it's interesting. May you live in interesting mm. times, they say, right? That's a curse. It's a curse. It's yeah. a curse. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let's go on with uh, Teresa Chen. She's a Vulcan, well, half Vulcan, half human. And I'm curious, Brandy, what you thought of this character, because unlike Spock, she's not, not only does she have emotions, but she has a lot of emotions, a lot of great humor. She does have a lot of emotions. And I think that sometimes we forget that Vulcans have very intense emotions mm-hmm. and they use logic and a lot of training to command those emotions to keep them from going out of control and i think we forget that mm-hmm. so Absolutely. it was so instead of you know seeming like it's her human side oh no that's her vulcan side cuz she is intense Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I really enjoyed because for me, this was the first time that I've seen this character. So I don't know if she's been in previous books, but uh, the whole practical joke that her friend played on her with making the measurements of her uniform wrong and also telling her that she had to wear a dress uniform. <laughs> I, right. I, that, that actually tickled me a bit. So uh, and She's one of those characters where I know I understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, I just want to smack her every now and again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, just yeah. stop. She seems just a little stop. overboard, but it's like what you're saying about the fact that Vulcans really do have intense emotions. They just suppress them. So the fact that she's allowing them to come out, they are going to be intense. Yes. She's going to be over the top. Yes. And can you imagine all Vulcans being this way? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's a thing that everybody thinks that Vulcans have no emotions, but it's telling that, you know, the person whose lives they model their lives on said, okay, we've got to shut down these emotions because we're going to destroy ourselves. So, you know, that that should tell you how intense Vulcans emotions are. And I I love that she and Torek have that discussion at the end of the novel, too kind of makes that really clear. Yeah. I was going to say about Tarek. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, she's like, he finds her being upset, the loss of her mother, because she has an estranged, a strained relationship with her father. They they haven't seen each other. They haven't talked to each other. Now she's recently heard from him. He's asking her, how's your mother after the boar crisis? And she's like, now, now you, now you're interested. Why are you even asking? And then she later finds out her mother transferred ships 
because she thought she, her mother was probably safe, but then she transferred ships and was involved in the Borg battle and died. And then Tarek finds her crying in the hallway. And she, she's like, you don't understand my emotions. I mean, of all the people to come here right now, it's you. And he's like, you don't get it. You know, it's like Brandy saying he has emotions. He lost his family. He, he had his reasons for not going to the memorial service because everybody de- deals with grief in different ways. Agreed. And there is no right way or wrong way to deal with grief. Everybody eventually gets to the point that they need to get to. And also, there is no time limit on grief. There is no stage at which you should be over it. Because honestly, losing the people close to you, like a spouse or a child, you are never going to get over that. You learn how to live with it. But you never get over something like that. It's always with you. Yeah, it feels like on, again, I I keep seeing this story writ small and then writ large. So the Federation is going through this grieving process you know, from the individual person up to the societal level. Like, this is post-traumatic stress on a civilization level, almost. And we see that through Torek and Chen. And, you know, these highly trained Starfleet officers who have access to counselors and that sort of thing, can you imagine how the displaced refugee who has no resources to cope with this is dealing with this and and you know like can you just imagine the hurt and the the agony going through all the people of the federation right now like it's just it's it's unimaginable and i love that we get to see a little bit of that through these characters and torek especially who you know as a Vulcan character, I feel like he's a little difficult to write. And most of the books he's in, he's just kind of there. But this one, we really get that, you know, look into his Vulcan psyche and how he's dealing with this, which is, you know, not well. <laughs> and and why should he be doing well? Mm-hmm. You know, he lost his family. Again, it's this lack of empathy that just, yeah. you know, and, and the thing is, is that it's, it's not an unknown thing. It happens in the world all the time right now. And I think that's one of our biggest problems as a civilization is that we have just become so selfish and so wrapped up in our own wants and desires that we forget there are other people and they are going through things and maybe just be a little kind for heaven's sake. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, everybody's different, you know, and everybody handles things in their own ways. I mean, that goes to the next character, Jasminder Chowdhury, that lost her family and she's grieving, but she's not so showing emotion. She's she's human. She's not a Vulcan. But people are starting to wonder, you know, is, is she really all right? Because she seems to be accepting the loss of her family really well she's not showing any emotions she doesn't is she bottling all in does she really have her act together and and in the beginning of the novel she's on a runabout or whatever or a shuttlecraft or whatever with Worf, and they actually have sex together because that she needed a release and she turned to him and then one of the things that she finds out later is that you know her parents are on this planet and they the way this culture is in that area of the planet is that they do give to others and look out for others and they sacrifice themselves by giving their feet on a transport vessel that's there to rescue them. And they, they don't board it. They said there's others 
that, you know, we'd rather have children or whoever else get on there before we do. And they, they could have lived, but they chose to stay behind. And that's a loss that she had to deal with. And she does have emotions with it. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of emotions. And I know everybody deals with things in different ways, but avoidance never works. Ever. All it does is just delay the inevitable. Eventually, you will have to face those things. So rip off the Band-Aid mm-hmm. and just face it. But avoiding those emotions now means that later on down the line, it's going to be that much harder to deal with because it's going to have expanded. It's going to have grown and uh, metastasized, I think, is a good word to to say there because yeah it's 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 like a cancer it's like this dark thing that you have to just deal with and and take care of rather than just let it kind of grow on its own because that's never a good situation never a good coping strategy it's kind of like things that happen in nature like uh, volcanoes come to mind where uh even in a dormant volcano, the only kind of volcano that's not going to blow again is is going to be an extinct one. Dormant volcanoes can erupt and do erupt. Uh, Pompeii, anyone? But <laughs> what happens is pressure starts to build within the volcano and that magma starts building and building and building. And it can only go up because there's nowhere else for it to go. And so... If you leave that unattended, don't heed the warning signs. <laughs> Eventually, that caldera is just going to blow. And now you've just got decimation everywhere. So it's, it's never good to bottle things up. I know it's sometimes you think that's what you have to do because it's, you have a duty you have to focus on, or excuse me, duty. You have a duty you have to focus on or something like that. But that's what counselors are there for. And no one should ever be ashamed to go to a counselor. You wouldn't be ashamed to go to a medical doctor for a physical ailment. Don't be ashamed to go to a counselor for a mental ailment. Just mm. just take care of yourself. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, just stepping outside of the novel for a moment at least today, March 19th, like I'm seeing a lot of mental health issues with friends of mine, with myself, I'll be totally honest. These are things that, you know, we should be talking about. And I feel like there's obviously still a huge stigma about talking about that, about showing what some would perceive as weakness, which It is not the case. It is so strong for someone to be able to talk about that sort of stuff. So um, a little PSA from your friends here at Literary Treks. If you're having difficulty, if you're having dark thoughts, if you're having issues of this kind, especially with what we as as a world are going through right now, talk to somebody, please. And yeah, don't feel that you're alone because you are not alone. There are a lot of people hurting right now and we need each other to get through this. I don't think anybody would say that Jean-Luc Picard was a weak captain. Here, here. He's a weak individual and he had a counselor sitting next to him on the bridge right there to the left of him at all times. And he went to Troy quite often and she went to him to check on him. And I wouldn't say he was weak and he had a counselor. Absolutely. 
Agree. I, I appreciated that positive representation of mental health. Because honestly, guys, mental health, when it's bad, it is going to start affecting you physiologically as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all Definitely. connected. It's all connected. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, people always like to separate mind and body, but your mind is part of your body. Like, yeah. mental health is physical health. Like, it's yes. all connected. Yes, which is why there should be the same kind of level of insurance and programs for mental health as there is for physical health. But there isn't, and that really annoys me. Okay, so one of the last things I want to tackle is something that Dan said he wanted to talk about later here on the show. So, Dan, there was something that you were talking about, utopia and societies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, you know, I brought this up earlier and, you know, we keep hearing about the Federation being a utopia, you know, this this society that we're striving for. And, of course, the Federation and Starfleet is kind of a, a metaphor for probably the United States of America. It's an American show and, you know, the U.S. military and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's the ideal version of that. It's what we should be striving towards. And a lot of times I see this, you know, criticism when Star Trek does a story of the darker side of our natures and things kind of going wrong, that, you know, the Federation wouldn't do that because it's a utopia and that doesn't happen. It's an ideal society. Well, I'm going to reiterate something that I said earlier. Societies are made up of people. And because you call something a utopia and say it's an ideal society, that does not make it so. It's the actions of the people of that society every day to make that society a good one or to make the best decision. And people are people. They're going to make decisions that aren't the best. And, you know, I feel like this novel and a lot of the things that are taking place in it are grim reminders to listen to our better angels, you know, rather than having them shouted down by our demons. And this I think is a huge important reminder for us today going through our own trials, both with the current crisis with COVID-19, but also all the other things we're dealing with the climate crisis, the refugee crisis, a great society isn't something that just happens one day, oh yeah, we're at Utopia, and then it continues on. No, it's up to us to make that happen and to continue to make that happen and not get complacent. There's a line in Star Trek The Next Generation when they first encounter the Borg, and Picard says, perhaps what we needed was a kick in our complacency. And that's what I feel like this has been, uh, both what's happening in this novel and what's happening in the real, real world right now. And it's taken a while for some people to recognize it, but I think it's happening both, like I said, in the story and in the real world. We need a kick in our complacency to realize that we're not, we don't have all the answers and we need to work hard to continue to make things better. So are you saying that Utopia is a series of choices? I am absolutely saying that Utopia is a series of choices. Interesting how these themes keep coming around and around again. I know, know, especially surrounding Picard. Hmm. Hmm. It's almost as though the creators of Star Trek are trying to tell us something. 
Yeah, I get that feeling. I don't know <laughs> what it could be, though. Gosh. Maybe I need to read some more books. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing when I hear about people talk about Star Trek and utopia and such. And I'm thinking, but, you know, when you really look at Star Trek. I, there's so many bad morals. <laughs> there's so many bad captains. We've had Starfleet officers that haven't always been good. I mean, it's not a perfect place. Not everybody's perfect in it. And if there's not perfect people in it and they're imperfect, then... The whole thing isn't perfect. And it's never going to be. Like, yeah, you know, it's not. That's the thing. No, but we strive to get there. We strive to better ourselves. We try to do the right things. We try, But it's not always going to be perfect. It's like we we're talking about mental health. You're going to have your good times and you're going to have your bad times, but you have to work through those bad times to get back to the good ones, to get yourself in that right place. And there's so many times I pride myself that I can handle just about anything. But then things sneak up on me slowly mm -hmm. and I find myself in that dark place or that place of despair and I'm depressed. And I'm like, wait, I, I logically I know this doesn't make sense and that I should just accept this and whatever. And that's how it is. But it just sneaks up on me slowly and, and I have to get back out of that. I have to deal with it. And that's 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 what the Federation is doing. That's what all these planets are doing is trying to get to that better place. And you have to work through it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not going to stick there the whole time and just be perfect forever. You always have to work at it. Always. And it's another one of those things that's both on the societal level and on the individual level. Like the health of a society is the health of the people. And, you know, we work on ourselves. You're working on society. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Well, really now, I mean, we, we, we're coming really to the end of the book. We've jumped around, but uh, I just want to touch on the ending that uh, Katahata decides to remain on Pacifica to help with the refugees and uh, hopefully have her family come and join her. And so they have a time. We didn't really talk about her that much, but her family's still alive, but she has left them for period, long periods of time for her career in Starfleet. And now she's, working to try to bring them back to her and get together. So they're going to join her on the planet. And at the same time, we're finding it more out about this Typhon pack thing. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> hey, wait, I have those books. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> but I'm going to guess you never read them. I've read the first one. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love the Katohara story. I love her ongoing thing with her family, and I love the kind of resolution to it here that's just the perfect solution to the problem. She's seen a place where she's desperately needed, and she seems to have the mind that can really make a difference with this sort of situation. And the, the fact that she can bring her family there is definitely an added bonus. This is, you know, a story that's been playing out over a few novels, but really came to a head in this novel. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see this resolution for her. I was too, even though I don't have all the backstory on her. I still could interpret the history from what was given to us in the book. And I thought... It's, it's such a hard situation because nobody's right, nobody's wrong. And there were some harsh words said, and that's always difficult because sometimes we, as people, uh, say things that sh we shouldn't. <laughs> things oh, that's that are me. difficult. Yeah, things that are <laughs> difficult to take back or to 
circumvent, but at the same time, it's, it's actually better to get it out, get it dealt with and move on rather than to harbor those sentiments inside. So I understand where she was coming from. Plus I understand where her husband was coming from. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was not, it was a situation where there wasn't a villain and a good person. It was just life. It's just the way life is sometimes. And so I was so happy that she was going to stay on Pacifica and her family was going to be with her. And yeah, she and her husband made up before that, but that's, that's not necessarily the point. The point is, is that she found a way to have it all, that there was a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, working through life to make it better. She found yeah. a way. Yeah. It's what you do. Absolutely. So that being said, is there anything else we haven't covered that you wanted to cover, either one of you? Uh, the only thing I want to talk about is the lovely Enterprise reference of uh, Captain Erica Hernandez and the uh, Columbia disappearing yes. two centuries ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. Made me That's super happy. You need to read the Destiny trilogy. I'm yes. going to. You, you know I'm going do. to. I'm yeah. going to do it. If you it. love that reference, you're going to love those books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally there for that because I thought, oh, I've missed something. I need to read those. <laughs> because i read the afterward it's funny you said that because as i'm reading the book and i got to that part i did think of you brandy i thought because i knew you didn't read destiny i thought you'd be like wait what's this yeah Mm. that's exactly what i did wait 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 wait, what because he he was talking first about captain hernandez i'm like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute is that erica hernandez and then a couple of pages like it is erica hernandez (laughs) so yeah i am i'm definitely going to read those yeah Awesome. We definitely want to hear what you think when you have read that. So, Oh, you'll hear. Yes. <laughs> and listen to our episodes on those, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that being said, Brandy, what, how would you rate this book? Oh, this book was really interesting because it dealt with so many real situations that it kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, just the, I guess, prescience of what's things are going on today. But not only that, I think that it was well-written. I appreciated how it was kind to people like me who hadn't read the books that came before, so that I didn't feel like I was completely lost or I had missed something. It was... I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So, I would probably give it... No, I, I think I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it uh, four out of five Alpha Centauri governors being kidnapped and taken to Pacifica. <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot of governors there. <laughs> they do. They do. They do. The I I usually rate things really highly, and I th- I feel like that's a high rating comparatively to other people. <laughs> but you know nothing. Th- it's something has to like completely blow me away to, for me to give it like full marks. And this, I loved it. I did love it and I appreciated it. And it was, it was actually kind of hard on me at the same time. It was kind of hard to read these things because they reminded me so much of things going on today. So, yeah, I, my feelings are, I think very close in line with yours. I really enjoyed this novel and, and yeah, the fact that it just resonates so clearly with, things that are happening now and things that have been happening for ages. I I think it says some very important things and 
you know, every once in a while, one of those stories comes along that you really wish that certain people who could be more open to the messages in a novel could read this and take its message in. But you know that deep down, that's a forlorn hope with some people. But anyway, putting all that aside, I, I really enjoyed this novel. I love character pieces. I think you know, people who've listened to this podcast know I love it when they delve deep into a character's motivations or uh, what something really means. Something I value that over, you know, big whiz bang plots with explosions and phaser fire and stuff. So this book is definitely right up my alley. I think I would also have to give it four out of five replicators that are correctly connected to make use of all of the available resources. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm on the same page with the two of you. Um, yeah, a lot of great character moments, a lot of great reflection of our society and the world and what we're dealing with today and what we've seen in Star Trek Picard. And there's just so much of that going on in this. And uh, it was like the perfect time to read this book. So, yeah, I give it four out of five times that Picard has turned down promotion to Admiral. <laughs> Because he does turn down another promotion in this one. Mm -hmm. Because some captain named Kirk gave him this advice. Don't let him promote you. Don't let him transfer you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, Generations reference. You can make a difference. What idiot gave you that advice? (laughs) James T. Kirk. Oh, well, okay then. (laughs) Yeah, I can't say anything about that. (laughs) Yep, that's exactly how that plays out in this book. So, Brandy, if anybody wants to find you somewhere out there on the interwebs, where can they find you? Uh, probably too many places. I don't know. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. Brandy's with an I, 12's the number. You can find me lurking in the Babel Conference, although it gets kind of crazy up in there sometimes and there more, are, more, <laughs> are more posts. <laughs> there are more posts than I can keep up with at times. Um, you can find me on Trek FM on the Edge main show where we talk about Star Trek Discovery and we just finished up our big three episode arc of Ships of Discovery. And you can also find me sometimes, someday, again, when Discovery returns on Live from the Edge with somebody, um, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, Bryce? Bruce Maddox. Oh. No, Bruce Maddox. Yes, Bruce Maddox. <laughs> yeah, he and I go way back, way, way back, you know, from our days at the Daystrom Institute. Um, no, of course, with Bruce Gibson, my friend. Uh, so someday that will hopefully be back with discovering new, new episodes. Wow, I'm just bungling my way through this. Leave all of this in. And then <laughs> you can find me also right now. Actually, by the time this comes out, this will have ended, but... We've been doing a live show on Dan's YouTube channel, Kurt Ratz Productions. <gasps> and it's been so much fun. It has We're doing been so it much fun. Star Trek Picard. We just did we did we formally decide it's the unready room? <laughs> I think as informally formally formal as informally formally as we can, it's the unready okay. room. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, but you can still go back and watch those videos if you yes. if you would like to have a gander. I think the first one we did was extra long. I think it was the first one. It, it probably was because it was the first episode of Picard. There was a lot of I mean to I talk think it was about. like two and a half hours. Like we just rambled afterwards. Just and we kept <laughs> it going. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Uh, and I wish I was done, but I'm not. You can also find me. <laughs> so sorry. On the Dark Corner podcast with my wonderful husband, Dave, who is also sick with me. So we've had a great week together. I was going to uh, ask if he was sick. That's, oh, oh, yeah. That's... Oh, yeah. I immediately came home and infected him. So, yeah, we have been sick together. I think he's like a day behind me as far as illness. But uh but we've been going through the same thing and we'll just share our symptoms and go, you've been feeling like this? And yeah, yeah. Did you see spots when you stand up? Yeah, yeah. I, that happened to me. Yeah. Are you lightheaded? Yeah, we're, I'm lightheaded. <laughs> so anyway, we talk about nerd stuff, whatever we feel like. And uh, we do it from sort of a darker point of view. If you want to hear Brand use bad words, that's a good place to hear it. <laughs> and finally... <laughs> Finally, you can find that podcast and my new solo podcast, Headcanon, at the same place, which is darkcornerpodcast.com. And on Headcanon, I talk about whatever nerdy thing jumps into my brain. It, there are tangents galore. Uh, I'll, I, in one episode, I even shared a ridiculous dream, frustration dream that I had, uh, which, you know, honestly, it, my dreams are really weird all of the time. <laughs> So sometimes I'm going to share those with you guys and they'll, people were just like, what is going on in your brain? <laughs> so we I'll really are getting into your head. Yeah, you're <laughs> really getting into my head because head can it. And uh, yeah, so you can find both of those at darkcornerpodcast.com. And I'm pretty sure that's I would hope so, because you need, like, time to do other things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a life, you guys. You're so funny. No, I do I do stuff from time to time, but right now, all the stuff that I would normally do is not being done. So That's true. So, yeah, so that's go. okay. I'm an introvert, so I am perfectly suited for this situation. Yes, podcasting still goes on, so we can keep it does. this going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. we hope you feel better soon. Yeah, thank you're you. Here. I'm. So. I know my boss really would like me to be back at work. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You need your rest. Tell your yeah. boss that. Okay. So I, you can I get have. back to work sooner. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time uh, out of your uh, being sick to talk with us. We really appreciate it. It's been the highlight of my week, you guys. Seriously. <laughs> It surprises me, even though it shouldn't. This shouldn't surprise me after all these years, but the fact that this novel came out a few years ago, but it still feels so relevant to what's going on today. And I, we talked a lot about this, but it just, it blows my mind how these stories continue to resonate through what's happening today and, and the situations we're dealing with here at the start of the 21st century. Yeah. And like you said, a few years ago, I looked it up. It's July, 2009 when this book was published, it doesn't even feel that long to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that long ago, but you know, that just shows that times really don't change or history does repeat itself. You know, I growing up, I thought things in society and their world were getting better And I thought that we were reaching that Star Trek universe. Like, yeah, we're on that path. But yet things continue to change and there's bumps in the road. And then there's times like, well, maybe things will never get better. They just become different or it's a different problem or it's a different thing we need to tackle. And it's just there's just always the same things that just seem to keep coming up. And I don't know. I don't know if things will really change for the better. We just have to work through it. Yeah. And I mean, I think the important thing is kind of like we said, 
you know, we be the change you want to see in the world to borrow a, a sentiment there. You know, it's things will get better if we as a society decide that they'll get better. And, and we as a society are made up of the people in that society. So, you know, it could start with you. It could start with me. It could start with a small group of like-minded people, maybe a bunch of Star Trek fans that want to see that future come to pass and will finally decide you know what? We're going to make it happen. And maybe we can get that point across on a podcast called Positively Trek. Because that is now out with Bruce Gibson and Dan Gunther. I like that <laughs> idea. So yeah, if you want a podcast where we talk a lot about the change that liking Star Trek and believing in that world can bring in the future, check out Positively Trek. Just uh, yeah, search for that podcast wherever you get your podcasts and you'll be able to find that and... Oh, we hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fun talking about Positively Trek today, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. I think, I think the difference is that Flashback is intentionally trying to... to carve Voyager a little place within the fabric of the undiscovered country say and it's trying to place Tuvok well it's trying it's trying almost to <laughs> to retcon isn't it because Tim Russ was in that film as one of the Excelsior crew so it's it's trying to do a retcon and say no, no, he was in he was in generations he wasn't even in that film that's the oh, wasn't he? Thing. he was like and it's and I suppose it's a Brandon Braga episode as well Brandon Braga wrote generations Brandon Braga I suppose must have realized at some I mean maybe unconsciously realized that Tim Russ was in generations as a different character he was so wasn't it's, he it's almost like a weird sort of um i've got that wrong you're well, I don't right know whether on, on some no but I, I wonder whether unconsciously on some level that's the connection you're supposed to be sort of slipping into and of course that he was serving on an excelsior class ship earl gray i want to see that spaceship that's got giant space-time knitting needles yeah. <laughs> and they just and they just like do that like as they warp through space fixing it behind themselves that'd be, that'd be awesome literary treks the one that I left out that I, that in hindsight, I regret it is the one where he's, uh, is it wink of an eye where he's fighting the guy in the quarters and he actually throws a pillow at the other guy and it hits him in the face <laughs> and, and stops him dead in his tracks for two seconds, long enough for Kirk to get the upper hand on him. And I just, I'm like, I don't even know how to describe this. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to give. I couldn't come up with a name for it. That was probably the biggest thing is I couldn't come up with a catchy name for it. Pillow talk or something, maybe. In high <laughs> Stuffed him dead in his tracks because he's like, did did you just throw? Did a you pillow? just throw a pillow? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the line, a Star Trek Picard podcast. I think I've exhausted the planet. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let me end on a funny note. The first thing I thought when I saw that senator beheaded was, well, I guess we don't need to worry about Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie anymore. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually quite uh, surprised mm -hmm. by that, but <laughs> and his blood was <laughs> very happened. bright green. Very it was bright. very bright green. But, was, yeah. 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 Bravo. Bring green Quentin bottoms. Tarantino back. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. 
And please, if you have the time, leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, though, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, YouTube, in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd love to hear any thoughts you may have on today's show. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that'll come right to me and Bruce. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Find us on our Goodreads group where we have a bookshelf with all of our previously covered books, as well as the currently reading section so you know what is coming up on future shows, plus great conversations happening about the books and comics. Just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Shamatala, Justin Ozer, Jeffrey Harlan, and Casey Pettit for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. So, Dan, when you're not drinking contaminated water to the point that I have to build a wall to keep you away from it, where can people find you? Oh, man. Well, <laughs> probably... Uh... Not be doing not too well in bed, but when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Productions, where I have a YouTube channel talking mostly about Star Trek. And again, um, we'll sometimes be doing live shows with Bruce and Brandy. I think Picard is done now, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll get together and do live shows about other things, especially if we're all still stuck in our houses with the COVID-19 thing going on right now. Uh, and uh, you can also find us, of course, on Positively Trek, our new podcast, which we hope you'll listen to and enjoy. And Bruce, when you're not disassembling a runabout to provide technology and equipment to help support a refugee camp, where can we find you? Well, after I land, then you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. Please follow me, Admiral underscore Rex. Appreciate it. It'll be fun. We can talk Star Trek. And if you feel like talking Star Wars with me, you can do that on Twitter, too, because I also do the Star Wars report. And then, of course, as everyone's mentioned, I've done Live from the Edge and the live show and Positively Track, all this stuff, too. So all that's just been mentioned. You know where to find me. And, of course, I'm always in the Babel Conference. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Hold on, I'm sorry. Awkward pause.
This awkward pause brought to you by <laughs> writing down titles. Writing down titles <laughs> necessary for the smooth functioning of literary tracks. <laughs> if your awkward pause lasts longer than four hours, consult a doctor. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I hope you do. <laughs> I would, I would love that. It's up to Dan. That. I wasn't going to, but I will. I, I mean, if you can find a way to edit that in so it sounds okay, sure. <laughs> I actually, thought it was I fantastic. I, I, I think, think it's kind of funny. An, I think I have an idea, actually. Okay. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, okay. So th- one of the last things I want to talk. Uh, one of the 